Good morning and welcome to Legal Defense with Kirk and John. I just happen to be Kirk O'Bear. I just happen to be John Birdsall. How are you doing, Kirk? Good, good. Dude, I got to tell you that I got some flack from some of the people that work with us that we do this show every week. And, you know, I, I know you haven't been doing it with me the entire time. A lot of the time, I mean, you have, even before yeah. we became a partnership. Yeah. Uh, quite quite often, actually. But it's going on our uh, 14th, almost our 15th year of doing this. Oh, wow. So long term, you know, big fan base. And of course, everyone that we work with listens to the show as well. I, I make them. Do I, they? I do quit. They? Well, I hope they do because I question no, them on Monday to- morning and I, I give them like a little five. <laughs> we're gonna have to, yeah. We're going to have to like put together a little pop quiz about pop what quiz to make sure they work. But I got a comment, uh, you know, before the weekend that we never give a shout out to the people that we work with every day and 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 love so dearly with the um, dedication that they have. So I just want to say, first of all, you know, thank you, thank you, thank you to Madeline, uh, attorney Stephanie Rock, Maria. Sarah, you're a paralegal. Mm-hmm. Attorney Nicole Muller. Mm-hmm. Attorney Emma Guthrie. Mm-hmm. Amber, who is uh, Nicole's paralegal. You, of course. Oh, yeah. And uh, our our good friend who just joined forces with us while he is a an intern, Isaias. And uh, we, he just started earlier this week and oh, he's an enthusiastic young guy i'm not going to forget isabel she's she is the point of contact when when you call her office she's the one that answers mm-hmm. and she's the one that is the face of the firm and she is just a delight but um yeah we didn't leave anybody out did we i hope we didn't Ooh. probably well, sherry. sherry sherry is sherry. Our, our hr person like yeah she like started as a consultant and really helped us to grow the firm. And, um, so, <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, you know, um, what we've done in the last two years, um, is really solidified. And we found that out during our recent murder trial mm-hmm. and it worked like a hypothetical tra- murder trial that we started hypothetical- talking about last week and that we'll continue talking about this week. That's what I meant. Our hypothetical, <laughs> Murder trial. Only and by the way, for our listeners, we're not supposed to talk about actual cases, especially pending ones. So everything you hear us talking about is purely in the philosophical, hypothetical realm. But it does raise issues. <clears throat> well, the interesting part is the issues themselves, you know. And so, um, and 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 really, you know, when you're in school. You remember this, I'm sure, from law school. I mean, even though it was decades ago, is that <clears throat> you know you're learning all these rules and these tests, and and really, America learned about some of them this past week with um, Judge Jackson's hearings, um, and who, by the way, is a superhero as far as mm-hmm. I'm but one hundred percent, yes, but. She was being questioned about, you know, um, various legal, um, 
issues about, you know, representing, you know, Gitmo detainees and um, or, um, you know, because she did appeals for those. And um, and she uh, talked about the role of criminal defense lawyers and why that's important. And she talked about legal tests, you know, strict scrutiny, um, medium scrutiny, you know, and, and, and these are that's what courts do. They develop tests and they're, <laughs> and they sound like they're the answer to a problem. Um, when in fact, if you really read the test, it almost always includes the term reasonable or, um, you know, is it sufficient or, you know, things that could mean anything to anybody. And, right. <laughs> and that's the, that's the, uh, that's the law in a nutshell is that um, it's, it's really, that's why values matter. A person's worldview and values matter so much, no matter how much you try to be unbiased, the tests themselves will encompass almost any worldview. Right. And that's really, you know, John, if you think about it from a perspective of what makes our country unique and hopefully a leader in the realm of what a true democracy and true free society is. I'm not entirely sure we are that, but let's hope that we are. And and if that's true, then think about how important it is for uh, the notion that someone should be perfectly free as you and I are uh, and and willing as you and I are, and in encouraging and vigorous and a, and even aggressive as you and I are, to defend the Constitution, and God forbid that you and I, you or I, should ever be up for uh, a nominee for the Supreme Court because I don't want to go through that grilling. <laughs> um, but. <clears throat> how can it be in in us, you know, our country, or the United States, that values our rights so much that we have people questioning the fact that a Supreme Court nominee who is more than qualified? I mean, this is probably, you know, it's beyond, beyond question. <laughs> and issues come up about, well, you represented this person that did this terrible thing. You know what? If she didn't then there would never have been justice. It would have been somebody else. So, and, 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 to, and to comment on the fact that, oh, you made a career decision long ago that now we think that, you know, the people questioning her about this think you should forfeit the opportunity to be on the highest court in this nation because you answered the calling to do what the Constitution requires. That That's... Crazy. She did crazy. during the what she did during the hearing defending criminal defense lawyers was a proud moment um, because she did it in a way like I do it in a little more bombastic way, uh, but I'm not trying to be on the Supreme Court. She <laughs> <So laughs> did it in a very classy, articulate way, um, and I mean that most sincerely. It was it was um, very and it was genuine and. And the way I look at it um, is that the worst defendants are the most important ones to defend mm-hmm. because those are the ones where the police and the prosecutors are going to cut corners. They're going to lie. They're going to withhold evidence. 
They're going to manipulate. They're going to play games. They're going to do all sorts of nefarious things. And, um, and, and that's not to be a wipe on all police and all prosecutors at all, because there's many that are above board and they're perfectly reasonable to deal with. But there's some that we know, and there's many around the country that we know through, <clears throat> you know, exonerees and things like that, that have done absolutely horrendous things in their claim for the pursuit of justice. And that's why I don't use the word justice because, you know, <laughs> because they do too. It's the, our, it's our legal system and it's supposed well, to, they wrap themselves in the flag of justice. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. But the point is, is that, is that those defendants are the ones that most need defending. And no mm-hmm. matter, no matter how horrible they, you know, the, the crime and, um, and, and because otherwise, otherwise the fourth, fifth and sixth amendments are just words on paper that, you know, some nice guys, a couple of century girls wrote and they saw, they thought they sounded cute. And, you know, we're the ones that put teeth into those. Right. Sometimes so, we so let, let, in, let me but, ask you this. So what, what if, what if there was, if we had this, and thank God we don't. But what if we had a culture in the United States where defense lawyers didn't view the Constitution as importantly as you and I do, or people in our firm do? And and let's say I said at some point, oh, uh, the government wants me wants to appoint me to represent one of these Guantanamo detainees, a potential or even probable terrorist who was involved with attacking our country. And I said, nope, can't do it. And if everybody said, nope, can't do it, then there would never be a trial and there would never be a conviction and there would never be any end result. So, I mean, I, I think that's just crazy that people don't understand sometimes that this is at least 50% of the equation. What, what happens on, you know, when you have, a battle, you, you there are two sides to it, and you can't just uh, judge so, somebody based yeah, on the fact that they were asked to basically serve their country by I, representing somebody in that uh, situation, even if I it's a four. I know we got to go to a break, but I'm going to riff off of that right when we get back. All right, we'll be right back. We are back with more legal offense with Kirk and John. Hey, um, did you listen to those ads? I did. Were amazing. I was enthralled. I, you know, there were a lot of things I wanted to do in that little four minute break, but I, I couldn't do it because I was just glued to those ads. Yeah, I want to take the trip to Aruba. Thank Um, heavens for advertising. I mean, it's just (laughs) gives us time to go get drinks between segments. Right. If not for that, then there would be basically no no radio. So we would have yeah yeah. So um so. When we left, you were talking about like, well, if nobody takes these cases, there is no justice. There is no system, which is absolutely true. And I think there a vast majority of prosecutors would agree with that. And I think all judges would agree with that. All judges have to agree with that. I mean, I, you know, you've experienced this as, as I'm sure as I have, where a tough case, you know, you, you take a tough case with tough facts and win, lose or draw. Judges are grateful that someone has the courage to step in and play that role. And I'm not saying that 
you know, and, and, and by the way, uh, fight to win, no matter how bad the facts are, no matter how bad the, the thing is, because that's what constantly tests our system to make sure that it improves and stays strong. Yeah. You know, every time that, that uh, I'll, I'll finish here in a second, but every time that uh, we detect a problem, a, viol- a potential violation of someone's rights, and we raise that in front of a judge, and the judge has the opportunity to rule whether or not things should be suppressed or the prosecution should lose the right to use certain evidence because of the manner in which it was obtained, it's a, it's a lesson for future cases. And that's kind of the idea behind this evolutionary process that our, our law goes through. And one of the things that we did when we incorporated the common law uh, doctrine from, you know, England, who we, you know, separated from, <laughs> but the idea that there's precedent and that we, we respect precedent or we change it with justifiable reasons based upon um, what we have created as constitutional rights. So <coughs> it's supposed to evolve. It's supposed to be the kind of thing like, okay. And, and by the way, let's not forget that in the world we live in, there has been this constant and fast moving uh, technological evolution that um, the police oh, are really? using more and different varied, varied and creative tactics to try and detect and enforce you know, crime and laws and all that stuff. I didn't so, hear the new technology. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. Interesting. Thank you. You know, um, I know you're a paper and pencil kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's actually a stone and chisel, but um, uh, <laughs> no. Um, but, but you know, here's here's the point that I wanted to make uh, when we ran out of time last segment is that um, not only is it important to have that defense function there on the worst cases to check um, abuses of government power, um, specifically the police, um, but, you know, any sort of government agency uh, and whatnot, because they're the prosecuting, you know, arm of any criminal case. But <clears throat> more importantly, is that a lot of people only know about, you know, X criminal case through the media, and they get um, a 30-second soundbite with, a couple of lines from a criminal complaint, um, a mugshot thrown up there that looks horrible because they all look horrible, uh, and and they um, assume that it's true, right? Right. And and what I found in coming up on thirty three years of practice, and I know that you will agree with this wholeheartedly, and any defense lawyer would agree with this wholeheartedly, is that once you start digging behind that criminal complaint and you get the actual reports and you get the actual recordings and the body cams and stuff. And you start to go through that. You go, all right, this doesn't even make sense. They skipped a bunch of stuff in that criminal complaint, which is all the media (laughs) bothered to report on. And, um, and, oh, oh, by the way, yeah, he he might have an alibi or um, they they didn't interview like five witnesses that were right there or, you know, and, and, I'm not just making stuff up. This is literally almost every case has some aspect like that. And, um, and, and so we've dedicated our lives and careers, as, as everybody in our firm has, um, to uh, 
to aggressively digging into the case to uncover exactly those weak points because those weak points are reasonable doubt. And you can't take away, you can't put somebody in a cage for a day without showing beyond a reasonable doubt. And that should be a tough standard, but it's kind of trivialized, I think, a lot of times. And that's another thing that we breathe life into. Right. So, um, uh, you know, I am proud to be a criminal defense lawyer, as anybody who knows me. Well, I am, I'm, I'm too, obviously. I think it's the most and, noble and, profession and that you fact, could undertake. And, and the fact that that's an issue in a Supreme Court nominee, to me, is laughable. But to so many other people, all they see is the prosecutors, the law and order shows, the, the news media um, disparaging, you know, and talking about, like, how horrible crime is. You know, that's that's all we heard during these hearings is how horrible high crime is. And that's what the Republicans are running on. And I, I have to laugh at that because um, crime isn't horrible for them. They're rich white <laughs> people who live in the suburbs. Right. right. There's, well, it's there's scary for them. It's scary for them. Yeah, it's scary because they don't like black people <laughs> right, possibly right. rising up out of the ghetto. I mean, I mean, it's just like we're just going to call a spade a spade. And so, you know, they're just this is just a wedge issue. It's just like it's 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 no different. Well, it's more powerful, really, than, you know, things like, oh, no transgender bedroom bathrooms or, you know, no, um, uh, no teaching critical race theory or any of this other nonsense that we hear about. So, right. And, you know, the more that people push those particular agendas, especially in the context of how the justice, you know, as you, you don't like to use the word justice, but as the criminal process works, the more we run the risk of losing sight of what actually makes us free. And, and that is always at risk constantly. Um, well, you know, Kirk, we, we don't have to look, we don't have to look any further than um, Russia. Right. Um, and and um, you know, and we can talk about China and any other number of countries that are authoritarian or dictatorships. But you know, it's on full display for the world to see right now what their legal system is like. And that is, oh, yeah. if you oppose their leader, you're going to find yourself poisoned. And it doesn't matter if you go to a foreign country. <laughs> you know, they'll find and you in England or wherever, and you, put plutonium in your tea. Yeah. If you use the word war or aggressor. You know, um, uh, to describe his war in Ukraine, then you're going to get 15 years in prison. Uh, and and by the way, I know I don't need to point this out to you, but to and our by the way, you won't have a trial, right? <laughs> let's 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 be clear. Every government in every nation in as part of every society has a stance as it relates to combating crime, right? Um. And oftentimes that defines how the government relates, you know, the relationship that the government has with the people uh, that reside in that country that are citizens. So, you know, depending upon how you respect human rights, or in our case, constitutional rights, versus some sort of process whereby you suppress them in order to maintain the integrity of the government, that's where you get dictatorships and you get totalitarianism and all those other things, because it's all, you know, all of it's in the name of suppressing quote unquote crime. Right. I mean, that's, that's a, theoretically how this entire 
war, I know if I were in Russia right now and I said that word, I'd be jailed immediately. But <laughs> this war in Ukraine was based on the fact that there's this allegation that there are crimes being committed by the Ukrainians against Russian leaning you know, uh, people that think but they could be part of Russia. You know what? If you were to take, and this is true, and you could do this online, anybody can, take the United States Constitution and the Russian Constitution, compare them side by side, and if you were a Martian, <laughs> and, I, and I believe there's Martians, and I believe they come to Earth. Okay? Well, right, right. When they come to Earth and they read... Little, the, little known uh, secret here, John, I'll just let you know. Since, they read... Uh, <laughs> Go ahead. They read those two constitutions side by side. They would think Russia is the freest place on earth. Right. Well, but right. constitutions are only as good as the people that are going to enforce them. It's and I see where you're going with this, which means that you and I should congratulate ourselves for being such strong proponents of constitutional rights and well, thinking America also, where it is also, actually free. Us and Judge Jackson and everybody else that ever did criminal defense. And any fair prosecutor that, that takes their job seriously, like the guy in Philly. Right. So I congratulate you, sir. Thank, thank you. you. You too. Thank you. All right. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We're back. And uh, John, did you come up with any ideas to buy new things from those ads? Um, yes. I, I was going to buy a, uh, it's a brand new product. Um, just came out. Um, I think it's going to be big. It's called a Hulu. Um, yeah, I, I've never been used before. Newest um, coming thing. And yeah. so I'm thinking about using it in court while I'm giving an open statement. Nice. And I'm not sure how to make it relevant, but I think it might have a hypnotic effect on the jury. And, um, and they'll follow me, you know, to any hill that I want to die on. Right. Well, they do say it's all in the hips. So if you can make that happen, good for you. Well, now, let's let's return the focus on what we left off with last week, which was this hypothetical debacle uh, that is probably, I'm not even going to say probably, very likely. I'm not even going to say very likely. I'm going to say most definitely is, wow. is a hypothetical um, example of misconduct. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And why on earth the prosecution has an interest? And I, we, we, we touched on this last week, but we know that there is this ethical rule that we all learned in law school. It's part of the ABA, you know, uh, model co code of, uh, you know, ethics and everything else. But a prosecutor is supposed to see justice and not just a conviction and the ability to differentiate between the two is something that is much less common than the desire to become a prosecutor is the problem because it's very easy to say the world is black and white you have right and wrong i'm on the side of right i want to put bad guys or gals in jail I'm doing the righteous thing. I'm going to make an impact on my community. I had that view mm -hmm. um, when I was a prosecutor, and I thought it was very straightforward. And frankly, you know, I had no idea that I would even have an interest in criminal law because I sort of 
just took the job because they maybe, you know, they said, here's what you're going to do. And I said, okay, thank you. The military kind of does that. So salute, you know, okay, yes, I'll do that. You know, (laughs) in the interest of our, the betterment of our armed forces. And, you know, when it really comes down to it and you get into the, the mechanics of how these things work, it's just mind boggling and shocking how imprecise and, uh, you know, the, the inability to differentiate between this concept of justice and this concept of seeking convictions, because, mm-hmm. yeah. because that's what the role, I mean, the role of the DA's office should be to represent the community, the people, the people, right? All the people. Convictions are easy to count. They're easy oh, to God. quantify, easy to measure, right? <clears throat> and so... It's much um, uh, cleaner and more uh, clear to a lot of prosecutors to just rack up numbers and right. not worry about the people that are getting like plowed under because, frankly, they're all poor people. So most of them, generally, yes, they are. So um, go ahead. There, there's a there's a talk show host on uh, the cable, not cable, um, uh, satellite radio sh- uh, channel called POTUS. I don't know if you ever listened to that. The POTUS channel, one twenty four on Sirius. Mm-hmm. And there's a <clears throat> there's a woman who's got an afternoon show, Laura Coates. Um, I think she does some stuff on CNN too. Uh, she wrote a book recently um, where she detailed her career, and she was in the civil rights division at Maine Justice, and she. But she also worked as a line federal prosecutor. And so she discusses that role and how she wanted to do exactly that. She wanted to help her community. And she's a she's a um, she's a black woman. And she wanted to you know, she wanted to change things from the inside, as it were. And I think there's a lot of people that fit that exact demographic. Right. And so she describes, though, that she came upon, you know, a number of cases, but one in particular she details about that she just couldn't reconcile her sense of fairness with what she was being ordered to do or what the law required her to do. For example, there was a um, um, a crime victim who uh, came forward and it turned out this person didn't have any um, documents, undocumented. And so she had to report her to ICE and it was like this huge inner struggle she had. She's like, oh, my God, you know, this woman's done nothing wrong. She's a victim. And now I have to, like, put her in ICE custody. And, um, you know, and so that's just one example. But, you know, I think – but she's somebody that really struggled with it. And I think a lot of prosecutors don't struggle with it. Well, and I sure I, did. Yeah. I mean, that was that was the revolution that I went through in my own mind. I've told you this story many times and I think I've talked about it on the radio many times, but you know, I finally came to a realization that this was all a game about uh, trying to, it really was about achieving convictions and they, the government invested more and more money, more and more training, more and more resources into getting those numbers up. And I became part of the, one of the cogs in the machinery of doing all that and I, I took it serious. I took my obligation to the truth and morality seriously. And I had a moral quandary, and I, I quit. So I became a defense lawyer. 
So I have a question in the military, <clears throat> and I realize it's been a while since you were in, but <clears throat> don't they equally fund both sides? Uh, Absolutely, one hundred percent. I mean, you you have unlimited funding. <laughs> there, okay. There's yeah, that it, it's uh, it is very much an even playing field, and there's many aspects of military, you know, justice that outshines our civilian version of justice in terms of, um, you know, giving the defense the resources that they need. Absolutely. I mean, resources, resources in the non-military sense, which is most of uh, the legal system or the criminal legal system, um, the defense function, the public defense function, that is uh, lawyers for poor people is is so skewed towards prosecution. Right. I mean, it's, 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 um, you know, David versus Goliath. I don't even, that's a, that's a stupid old analogy, but it's, it's, it's the guy standing in front of the tank in Tiananmen Square. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, is what it is, yeah. you virtually do not have a chance to match those resources. And, and the, the, the thing that bothers me is that is very intentional. That underfunding, that underfunding of public defense is very, very intentional <clears throat> because so many politicians, they don't want vigorous. Um, uh, they don't want a vigorous. Well, and, and in a system where we have elected judges, I don't think judges want to. Well, I, I don't mean all judges or any particular judge, but I just mean the nature of the system is such that a judge is very wary and probably worried, at least subconsciously, about making a controversial decision. I mean, look at uh, Judge Jackson, who's being questioned about a practice that is almost universally adopted by all federal judges as it relates to these child pornography cases. And, And just so you know, I know you know this, John, but so our listeners know, there is this enhancement that is part of the U.S. Sentencing Commission guidelines that calls for a a massively increased penalty when someone's in possession of child pornography. Now let's face it. That's a bad thing. We, we know those laws exist. We know why they're there. Well, America knows uh, through uh, senators, Holly and Cruz, how awful uh, judge Jackson is. But anyways, go ahead. Right, Right. Right. The point here is that there is an enhancement under the federal sentencing guidelines. If one, uses a computer to commit the offense. Now, this was an enhancement that was built into the Sentencing Commission guidelines long before computers were used in everyday life by everyday people. And I can tell you, I I, I have never appeared in front of a federal judge that actually applied that enhancement because they believed it was arcane and nonsensical. Even even conservative judges that I've appeared before uh, have felt the same way that it's something that is just not not really applicable. The theory being that if you're using a computer, it's far worse than what to actually taking Polaroids or developing film of a live act of child sexual assault. It's worse to re- view it on a computer, for heaven's sake. Yeah. So the, there's a lot of is, examples like that throughout both state and federal 
uh, law. Right. Uh, so she engaged in a practice which, which practically, at least every federal judge that I am familiar with on this issue agrees with. So we have to take a break. We'll be right back. We are back with the final leg of Legal Defense with Kirk and Jack. <laughs> Did you forget the name of the show for a second? No. I final wasn't. leg of It was a dramatic pause. <laughs> you don't know anything about you don't know anything about acting, do you, Kirk? I I do know a little bit about acting. Did you know that I was Buddy Holly in the Buddy Holly story? Oh wow. Did you know I took four improv classes? I four did. Imp- yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you've never that. actually seen you've never actually seen the uh, the movie of the play that I was in. It's it's a little embarrassing, but you know, I I had to sing and play thirty eight songs in that show. How old um, were you? Uh, well, let's see. It was about, about eighteen years ago. So I don't know how old I was then. Okay, I was an you, adult. I was were, an adult. I thought this was a childhood thing or something. <laughs> oh no, no, no! I did play. Okay, you remember the the uh, musical Tom Sawyer? I played the uh, nerdy uh, brother um, Sydney, and I, I wore like a little little boy blue outfit, like Angus Young and ACDC. I had that, which was great because I, I used it both in the play, but then in Halloween, I was <laughs> Angus Young going around so, you know, um, outdoors. Uh, so. Have you seen that 70s show? Of course. Yeah. I was a high school stoner. Um, that's all. That's, Do you want to, th- th- that's th- all you're going to say? That was the role you played? That was, that was the role in life I played. <laughs> I played that role in life. And then they patterned, I think, um, that '70s show. Entire show about you. Now, now you have three other people where the camera would roll around. You know, everybody would go around the, you know, and say something while you're. Well, it could have happened, but we were high. So I see. I I mean, what can we say? I get it. I get it. All right. Well, um, hey, we've been kind of bouncing around and dancing around this whole issue, but. Let's talk a little bit more about the uh, the hypothetical developments in this hypothetical case. We spent, hypothetically, um, pretty much an entire day in the evidence room earlier this week looking at stuff. I'm not going to say in particular what it was, but I will tell you, and you'll agree with me instantly, mm-hmm. that these were we, – we had requested – hypothetically, many times to have a a live viewing of all this stuff, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of items of evidence. And we were blown off repeatedly um, and told that we can't arrange that. We don't have the time. We don't have the resources, et cetera, et cetera. And if things had gone the way that, that we intended, you and I would just be conclude would just have concluded this murder trial um, within the past 24 hours or so. But that's not the way it went because of the mistrial that we talked about previously. But lo and behold, we make arrangements with the lead detective who of course was available because he's supposed to be part of the trial that we're supposed to be having right now. And we go and start sifting through all this evidence that number one, we had requested the opportunity to view and had been denied previously. And secondly, all stuff 
that's in the state's possession, including documentation that it turns out is very significant to our investigation. Yeah. And it just baffles the mind that the people that are running, uh, you know, such a hypothetical investigation and prosecution are with all the resources, all the personnel, all the taxpayer dollars that we throw into this process are able to just consistently drop the ball. Well, they, they aren't dropping the ball necessarily. They don't care about the ball. Okay, right. Um, um, they, 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 they care they, about they, the ball. They would be dropping the ball, but yeah. right. And they yeah. know nobody's going to call them on it, except for we are, of course. But right. um, the things are moving. It's an assembly line, and things are moving too fast. And pretty soon it's like, uh, you know, Lucy in the chocolate factory um, trying to get all the um, chocolate balls uh, before they, you know, accumulate. So right. um, that's a great analogy because pretty soon you have to start eating them, you know, in order to keep up. Yeah. And, and for those too young to know, uh, please go on YouTube and look up, you know, uh, Lucille Ball. Um, uh, well, I love Lucy. Factory. The chocolate factory episode. First of all, she's a comic genius. And this is from the 50s. So, um, you know, you might have missed it if you're a little younger, but um, uh, it's true classic stuff. But I have a feeling that most of our listeners are very well familiar with. Uh, yeah. But the point is, is that, you know, I mean, when things start moving. That's how wrongful convictions happen. We see it time and time and time and time again. Right. You know? I mean, um, so. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it bothers me when. You know, just average people who aren't in the system look at those wrongful convictions and say, that's great. See, the system works. Uh, okay. You know, when I started this radio show right. that many, 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 many years ago, there were only a handful. I mean, I'm talking about like less than, you know, than you can count on two hands of true exonerations that had been recognized as legit 100% you know, wrongful convictions. Um, as we sit here today, that is such a disturbingly common phenomenon that it, it really does and has required a complete reevaluation of our entire process. Think about it this way. There was a plane that just went down, I think last week in China. Yes. It was it was a domestic flight in China, um, and uh, 132 people on board, all presumed dead. Um, and uh, teams of examiners and you know um, uh, investigators from the United States and many many other countries are going there to help figure out first of all find the black boxes, but second of all determine if they can. Um, how this happened, because apparently it was a very, very vicious nosedive and they hit at a very, very high rate of speed. So the point is, is that, you know, in we have the, you know, when there's car crashes, we have the National um, Traffic Highway Safety Administration. We have um, the FAA. We have um, all these agencies that when calamities like that happen, we really try and figure out what, what, how to fix it and how to have a better system. Because right, we're, we're deathly afraid that it'll happen again. But we don't do that with wrongful convictions. We don't. At wrongful all. convictions are 
the equivalent of um, car crashes and airplane crashes uh, that that just get ignored and and people like say, oh well, I guess the system works. Well, obviously it doesn't, right? Yeah, tell that to somebody who spends twenty or twenty five or right? more years so, in prison for something they didn't do. No, and just tell me that that's okay because the system works. That's to, to, be, to be fair. There's some, there's some district attorneys' offices around the country in large cities that do have um, conviction integrity review offices in the district attorney's office. Let me guess. Kenosha isn't one of those. Can I? Kenosha is not one of them. that that's probably. Um, the case? I believe there's not one in the state of Wisconsin. Um, but I think that Philadelphia does, and um, I think that San Francisco does, and I, I'm not sure about like Cook County and Chicago, but um, you know that's at least an effort to um, examine old convictions and not just brush them under the rug, because nothing infuriates me more. Um, and you know, people like Brian Stevens, and you know that 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 really root out. You know all of this, all of this whitewashing and brushing under the rug thing. Um, uh, you know, got, and all the Innocence Project people like Keith Finley and UW Law School. Um, they can't do it all. You know, they're nonprofits, they're schools. We need some people in the actual power, with actual right. authority, to do it. And so I applaud those prosecution offices that are trying to at least address the problem. Uh, and it, I, I, can, I can see why there is, you know, for lack of a better term, political pressure. Not, I don't mean actual from politicians, but I mean, in terms of the, the guts that it takes to take a stand on those issues. And of course, we're seeing, once again, examples of if you, if you believe in trying to strengthen the integrity of the process, it, it comes back on you like. Just you know, Judge Jackson right now right. is being right. questioned about all this stuff. But honestly, so, honestly, I don't think any of that is landing. Every I think it's pretty clear that these yeah. these senators who are harping about these child pornography cherry picked child pornography cases are really just grandstanding, and they're trying to play loose uh, with the facts and also to play to the QAnon crowd who believes that everybody's a pedophile. Very good. You know, and they're they're both posturing to be president. Yeah, God help us. If well, we got to wrap it up, dude. So, right. um, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the show. Tune in next week as you can every week, right here on thirteen thirty and one hundred one point five WHBL. This has been Legal Defense with Kirk and John. Have a great weekend.